0: Thanks for joining us. My name is John Abel. I'm one of the newly appointed elders here at Northwest Community Church. And it's my privilege this morning to do an introduction to communion. As you can see, the table has been set. And in a few moments, Matt's going to come up and lead us in that. But what I wanted to do this morning is just take a brief moment. As you know, if you've been coming for a while, we're in a series in Psalms this summer. And as an introduction to communion, what I wanted to do was take some time to kind of connect some dots between some of the Psalms and what is displayed for us in communion. And I thought, after just coming off of 4th of July, that in fact, the 4th of July in itself has some significance that I think there are common themes that span both 4th of July psalms and communion. So those common themes are sacrifice, deliverance, and remembrance. And I've defined those here just using Merriam's dictionary online. But sacrifice is the surrender of something for the sake of something else. And we sang about that this morning. I let go of all I am just to have all of you. Sacrifice, giving up of something to have something else. Deliverance, which is to be set free or liberated. Remembrance, a memory of a person, thing, or event. And as you've probably heard many times if you've done communion before, do this in remembrance of me. Again, preparing us for communion this morning. So I'd say at the top, July 4th, Passover and communion, because there are some psalms where the psalmist goes and talks about all the works that God did to draw the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And I'm going to speak specifically on Psalm 78 this morning and 111, so you can kind of stick your finger in your Bible if you want to. I'll have that up on the screen here in a minute. But we just came off the 4th of July, and many of you probably have your own traditions for the 4th of July. You may celebrate with family and friends go to a cookout, go to a parade, maybe even go to the National Mall. In fact, my wife and I our first 4th of July together, we went to DC and got to see the whole shebang. We saw the festive displays, the people were gathered right there at the base of the uh, Washington Monument and you know, we just really had a great time. The fireworks display was probably one of the most amazing displays I've ever seen. And it was just a grand finale almost the whole time. It only lasted about 25 minutes, but it was just such a broad display of, of, of just lights and, and sound, and so it was just really awesome. But as I stopped to think this week, coming off of Fourth of July, how often do I really stop and think about what Fourth of July means? I mean, it's, it's easy for me, I think, to just go and celebrate Fourth of July and kind of get caught up in the moment of all the fun being together with the family and, and doing the traditions that we do. But have I stopped to really think, what is the purpose behind the 4th of July, and why do we celebrate it? Well, as you may know, and this is just a little bit of a history lesson, if you, if you don't already know, on July 2nd of 1776, the Declaration of Independence was signed by our forefathers. That marked the independence from Great Britain and kind of the tyrannical rule. On July 4th, it marked the date that the Second Continental Congress actually went ahead and ratified that or signed it into a law. And so we celebrate July 4th as kind of the memorial for that Declaration of Independence. And so uh, I think it's important kind of as we, as we look at this date, July 4th, you know, we do this because it's a day that's established to take time to remember what our forefathers did in signing the Declaration of Independence, to remember our deliverance from tyrannical rule. It's also a day to honor the sacrifices that were made to preserve that freedom and are continued to be made till this day. And so for myself, being born here in America, I don't think I really know what it's like to be under tyranny. I've grown up in freedom all my life, and so when we stop to think about the 4th of July, it can be hard for me especially to, to really connect with what our forefathers lived through, the sacrifices that they made, and the words that they put into motion in that Declaration of Independence. And so I think one of the ways that we can better connect, and this is, isn't just for Fourth of July, it spans and is the reason that we're going to read from the Psalms today, is it's important for us to look back at the writings of the people who were in that period of their life and, and use that as a way to deeper connect with the real meaning behind a holiday, the real meaning behind communion, the meaning behind Passover, which is um, part of the Psalms that we're going to talk on today. So let's look back at July 4th real quick. John Adams was one of our founding fathers, and he wrote a letter to his wife shortly after the signing of the Declaration of Independence. He wrote it on July 3rd. And in that letter to his wife, he says, The second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. I'm apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as a day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward forevermore. A couple things to note, as I think John Adams clearly is painting the picture of the importance of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. He is saying this should be memorialized and remembered from generation to generation, He also is giving credit to Almighty God for their deliverance from Great Britain's rule. In the second part of his letter, he continues and he says, "'You will think me transported with enthusiasm, but I am not. I am well aware of the toil and blood and treasure that it will cost us to maintain this declaration and support and defend these states. Yet, through all the gloom, I can see the rays of ravishing light and glory.'" I can see that the end is more than worth all the means and that posterity will triumph in that day's transaction, even though we should ruin it, which I trust in God that we shall not. In this part of the letter, he clearly points out that this new freedom will come with a price or a sacrifice. And you heard me talk about the key themes, the theme of sacrifice in both Fourth of July, Passover and communion. And we'll, we'll talk more about the others in a minute. John Adams also makes it clear that this is not a once-and-done deal. It's not just, we're going to sign this and move on with the rest of our lives. That this is going to need to be a part of who we are. And it will take commitment and persistence to avoid ruining all that was set forth on that day. I believe he also understood that succeeding generations would need to remember the significance and the deliverance of the American people. And again, the nation of Israel, I think, celebrates a very similar holiday they celebrate Passover. So this brings me kind of to an opportunity to pull out a SAT-style analogy, if you've done those before, maybe. So July 4th is to Americans, as Passover is, to Israelites. And I would say as communion is to Christians. So kind of drawing the connection between those things. So like July 4th, the Israelites celebrated Passover in order to remember how God delivered them from Egypt. As you remember the story of Moses, you remember at that time that Pharaoh was very reluctant to let the Israelites go. And it finally took an act of God coming through on that Passover night, passing over the houses with the shed blood of the lamb on the doorposts and striking the firstborn of those who did not. So that was deliverance. And they honor the sacrifice of that, or the cost of deliverance, with the shed blood of the lamb on the doorpost. Ultimately, as you can imagine, this pointing us toward the the ultimate Passover, and Jesus' blood shed on the cross. So similarly to John Adams, the psalmist stresses the importance of remembering what God did to deliver the Israelites from Egypt. So we're going to go ahead and turn to Psalm 78. And here the psalmist, I think, recounts for us all the works that God has done. And it's a fairly lengthy psalm, but I've got the text here on the screen. And if you don't mind just following along, I'm going to take a couple of excerpts for the time's sake today. So in in verse 1, Psalm 78, it says, My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. Things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us, we will not hide from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. In verse 5, it says, He decreed the statutes for Jacob. And establish the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children, so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they would in turn tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. I kind of want to stop here for a second. Because oftentimes we're good about remembering things. We're good about looking at pictures or having a tradition that we celebrate. But I think sometimes, myself included here, we can lose sight of why it's important to remember. And specifically here, the psalmist calls out, why do we remember? In verse seven, so that they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds and keep his commands. The psalmist also contrasts this with the rebellious generations that previously, and if you're familiar with the nation of Israel, there's kind of this constant cycle And the psalmist goes through that in verses really from 9 until the end. The psalmist is kind of contrasting all the things God did and then how the nation of Israel would turn and they would rebel and God would then punish them for their rebellion. And then they would turn back and he would do amazing things. He would deliver them from their captors. And so I think it's just important for us to catch this, that we need to remember and we need to pass this on to future generations so that we do not forget and so that we can follow God's commands. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit in Psalm 78 because, again, 9 through the end is is really just kind of repeating and going through all these amazing things that God has done. But specifically in verse 51, it says, He struck down all of the firstborn of Egypt, the firstfruits of the manhood and the tents of Ham. But he brought his people out like a flock. He led them like sheep through the wilderness. Now the point here is, and this is just after a portion in the Psalms where it talks about the different plagues, but this being the final blow to the nation of Egypt. And the final thing that allowed Pharaoh to give up the Israelites and for them to be delivered is that he brought them out. It was God. They give credit to God. It wasn't anything that man did. God did it. And he delivered them. And so they remembered him for that. Kind of skipping back a little bit in Psalm 78. Sorry to jump around a little bit. But in verses 32 through 39, we see that in spite of all this, and this is this being all the things that God had done, Israel kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. So he ended their days in futility and their years in terror. Whenever God slew them, they would seek him, and they eagerly turned to him. They remembered that God was their rock, the Most High was their Redeemer. Now that's pretty strong. But I think what it signifies for us is that when we rebel against God, there is a penalty. And ultimately, that penalty is death. And we're going to talk about the ultimate sacrifice for us here in a moment about communion. But just painting that picture that when we rebel, there's a price that must be paid, ultimately death. In verse 36, it says, But then they would flatter him with their mouths, lying to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him, they were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he was merciful. He forgave their iniquities and did not destroy them. Time after time he restrained his anger, it did not stir up his full wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a passing breeze that does not return. I think when you look at that text and you see how it says that they were flattering him with their mouths, but they're lying to him, with really their hearts were far from them. Think of an analogy, kind of if you're, if you're a parent with kids or if obviously being a child and your parent asks you to do something, it's kind of like responding, saying, sure, dad, I'll go clean up the playroom. But then 15 minutes goes by, 20 minutes goes by, parent checks up, playroom's not still clean. It's that, I told you I'm going to do something, but then my actions don't reflect my words. And I think that's when we get in disconnection. When we come here, we participate in communion or we celebrate the 4th of July and we, we, we talk about liberty and freedom, but yet our actions are still living in tyranny, essentially. Tyranny of our own sin. So I think much like the nation of Israel, we can forget what God has done and we can stray from his commands. So I think ultimately when we do that, we're subject to God's wrath, as it, as it says in the Psalms. And we're in need of redemption from that wrath. So then I want to skip ahead, and sorry to do this on you, but we're going to go to Psalm 111, which I think really summarizes the act of remembering what God has done and then ultimately pointing us to the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. So in Psalm 111, it says, Praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and the assembly. Greater the works of the Lord, they are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He caused the wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. Verse 6. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, enacted in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. So events like the Passover in July 4th and the writings that we've just read this morning from Psalms, you know, as I told you, help us connect with that deeper meaning behind some of the things that we do and celebrate. Again, being born in freedom, it sometimes is difficult for us to to really understand what the founding fathers went through. And and really, I think it's important that we try to do that in order to preserve that spirit and to, like it says in the Psalms, not to disobey his commands. So kind of summarizing today for you the key themes we've talked about. We talked about sacrifice. Sacrifice at July 4th was those who left their homeland, left what they had known for a new start, a new beginning, who left really the comfort of home in order to pursue freedom. At Passover, the sacrifice is the shed blood of the lamb that was slain, the blood was put on the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over those houses. And ultimately, as it says in 1 Corinthians 5 or 7, at communion, the sacrifice of Jesus' death on the cross, as it says there, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. The significance here at communion is that we are essentially pointing to the remembrance of what God did for us on the cross. Deliverance, the theme here across July 4th, is delivered from the the tyrannical rule of the English rule, I guess, in Great Britain. Passover, they're delivered from the angel of death and ultimately freed from Egypt and Pharaoh. And then today, when we take communion, we are celebrating and remembering our deliverance, our freedom from the penalty of sin, and life everlasting for those who who believe. And as it says in Galatians 1-4, Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. We're celebrating the finished work of Christ on the cross. Lastly, remembrance. July 4th, we remember this holiday and all that our forefathers endured for the freedoms that we now have. At Passover, they remember that they were saved from the angel of death and ultimately delivered from Pharaoh. Why? so that their children would not forget and they would follow in God's ways, keep his commands. And today at communion, we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross so that we do not forget. Again, across all of these, John Adams, the psalmist, Jesus, they all share in the importance of passing on what God has done and remembering and and passing it forward from generation to generation. So why do we stop for communion? Communion. We stop to remember what God has done through Jesus on the cross. Why? So that we don't forget, because it is so easy for us to just go about our lives and be consumed with so much with what we're, what we're doing and forget what has been done for us. Ultimately, so that we can then not just pay God lip service, not just tell him, sure, I got it, God, I'll, I'll do that, I trust you, but then our lives are distant and they don't reflect what we're saying. We do it so that our lives will reflect what we say. And we do it so that our lives are changed. So as we prepare for communion, Matt's going to come up, and, uh, and I just want you to focus on Christ's sacrifice. Focus on what he did on your behalf. Live your life as one who's been delivered from one who is under the penalty of sin and the rule of it in your life, sin's tyranny. And ultimately, let us do this in remembrance of him. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for the picture of of communion that you did all that needed to be done on the cross. Lord God, that today we would be changed in our hearts, that we would not just pay you lip service by taking this cup and this bread, that it wouldn't just be something we do out of routine or tradition. But God, draw our hearts closer to the sole importance of this, and that is you. God, that you are giver of life. And you did so much for us to rescue us from the pit, to rescue us from the tyranny of sin in our lives, Lord. So Lord, we just pray that today our hearts would be changed. Bring us back to you, Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' name.